0: Well, I'm probably one of few men in this room that can own the fact that I'm terrible with directions. Okay, I'm, I'm awful with directions. It's, just not, it's not been one of my strengths. And, and I don't know if I need to turn in my man card after this service, but it's, it's really never been a huge strength of mine. And uh, in fact, if it wasn't for uh, GPS systems and smartphones, like I'd be in big, big trouble. And uh, if you ask my wife today, you know, describe Chris as a driver. You know, what kind of driver is he? I'm sure she would say, you know, something like, he's, he's kind of an interesting driver. And I think what she's getting at is uh, the combination of being really bad with directions and also my fear of man issues of never wanting to be late. And so it turns out to be an awful, awful combination. But I'm sure you've been there before where you've been lost. Whether you've been driving in the car, and it just kind of hits you that you're not headed in the right direction. It's, it's kind of an interesting feeling. And for me, it's, it's typically when, you know, I'm listening to my GPS system, and, and that voice that I'm hearing, turn right here, and I turn right, turn left here, I turn left, and then all of a sudden, it's just like on repeat, where she's saying, make a U-turn, make a U-turn, make a U-turn, I'm like, okay, here we go again, I'm lost. But I would say that there is, there is something worse than being lost and knowing it, and that is being lost and not knowing it. And again, I've, I've been here before many times, typically when I'm driving with my wife, and my wife will turn to me and say, Chris, we're we're supposed to be going in the opposite direction. Like, come on, like we've been to this restaurant like a million times, like we shouldn't be going this way. And it, and it kind of hits me like, man, I thought I was going the right direction. I was so calm, cool, and collected, and yet I was lost. And one of the big differences between being lost and knowing it and being lost and not knowing it is your outward expression, your countenance, your, your facial expression. See, the person who's lost and knows it they're kind of frantic. They're, they're kind of desperate, like, man, I, I need to go in the right direction. But the person who is lost and doesn't know it, they're calm, cool, and almost overly confident. And even though you can't necessarily tell from the outward expressions, I would argue that the person who is lost and doesn't know it is in a far more dangerous position than the person who is lost and knows it. My hope and my prayers is that you'll agree with me after our time today, looking at our passage where we find not one, but two sons that are lost. And one son is lost and knows it, and the other son is lost and yet doesn't know it. And the parable that Jesus tells in our passage this morning is, is one of the most popular and well-known stories. That of all the stories that Jesus told, this one might be the most powerfully dramatic full of emotion, and characters that are almost impossible not to relate to. And the way that that Jesus told this story was in such a way as to force the audience to find themselves in the story, that he encourages us to wonder, are you the younger brother? Are you the older brother? Or maybe you're a little bit of both. And and so before we dive in uh, together into our passage, I want to challenge you to find yourself in the story that perhaps you do relate more with the younger brother, the prodigal, or, or maybe you're here this morning and you relate more with the older brother, or maybe a little bit of both. And yet a second challenge I want to supply to you this morning is, is not just to find yourself in this story, but to find God. Find God in this story, in this passage, because God really is the central figure in this parable. and In fact, God is is the main character in every passage in all of Scripture. So don't miss him as we move through this incredibly powerful story. And before we uh, dive in together, I do uh, want to set the context that the reason why I believe we need to look at both brothers this morning and not just the prodigal is because of the audience that Jesus had around him as he told this story. So look with me with, uh, at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So the audience here that Jesus has around him as he he tells these stories, he's got the Pharisees and he's got these great sinners. And the sinners that Luke refers to are those that are spiritually bankrupt and they know it. That they can relate well with the younger brother whose lives can be characterized by reckless living. And in Jesus' day, the, the Pharisees were very moral individuals. They would have related well with the older brother. They knew scripture well. They were religious and on the outside were very pristine. And yet, they were far from the heart of God and didn't know it. And Luke tells us in verse 2 that the Pharisees were grumbling. They were saying, this man, referring to Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. And so in response to that, Jesus tells a series of three parables in which our passage is the third parable. And in each of these three stories in Luke 15, we see a common theme, that God finds incredible joy in seeking and saving that which is lost. And within the framework of comparing the two kingdoms, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God, there is an immense difference in how the kingdoms view that which is lost. That unlike the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of God views that which is lost as valuable, that God sees what is lost, that he seeks what is lost. And when he finds it, he celebrates and has joy over that, And in our passage, we see the father who pictures God the father in heaven. And the younger brother gives us a picture of this sinner who repents. And then the older brother pictures the attitude of the Pharisees. So as we move through our passage, I have a very simple outline this morning. We're first going to look at the younger brother. And I'm going to uh, explain a few characteristics that describe and define younger brothers And then we'll transition and look at older brothers. And I have a few characteristics from the passage that we'll look at. And then we'll finish looking at the loving father. And so let's dive in. Let's first look at the younger brother. So you know you're a younger brother if, here's the first characteristic, if you are desperately searching, desperately searching. The story begins in verse 11 with the younger brother asking for his portion of the father's estate or property. Now this would have been an unthinkable request in this time period. That was basically the equivalent of saying to your father, I wish you were dead. And according to Deuteronomy 21, the younger son would have received one-third of the total inheritance. And we read that the younger brother took his inheritance and not many days later gathered all he had, and he took a journey far from home and engaged in reckless living. That you could say that the younger brother was searching for something, that he was perhaps searching for satisfaction or searching for significance, searching for something to justify his existence. And this desperate search led him to living a life of of immorality, I'm sure there was very little that he looked at and said, I won't try that. And so the younger brother's pursuit of, of self discovery, this quest to find and fulfill himself, led him to hitting rock bottom. The text in, in verse 16 says that he was longing to be fed so much that he would look at the pods of the pig's aids, and it actually looked desirable. Now, for a Jew, listening to this story, the way that they viewed pigs as being so unclean, this is hitting rock bottom. And so the search that the younger brother went on, that he took all that he had, he spent all that he had, and now he's eating the food of pigs, led him to intense loneliness and emptiness. And not not just the physical loneliness either, that this younger brother, he searched and he searched and he searched, and it led him to a pigsty. That he lost it all. And, and yet, losing his money, losing his friends, losing his dreams, and feeling like he's all alone merely served to confront him with his existential loneliness, the, the loneliness in his soul. See, his real loneliness was not the loneliness and the emptiness of the pigsty. It was not the loneliness of of the absence of friends or his circumstances turning sour. But his loneliness was based on his relationship with his father being severed. That the younger brother hit rock bottom. That all these other things that he looked at to, to justify his existence just collapsed on him. Could not satisfy him. Could not fulfill him. And yet, the, the younger brother's greatest loss was not losing his money, not losing his friends, not his circumstances. His greatest loss, the, the greatest collapse in this story, was his relationship with his father. And I wonder this morning if you can relate to the younger brother today. That perhaps in your own life, you've been desperately searching for satisfaction or significance outside of a relationship with our Heavenly Father. That what is it that, that you look at and you say in your heart, if, if I have that, then I'll be satisfied. That what, what is it that, that you look at and you say in your heart, if I have that, then, then I'll find significance. Then I'll justify my existence. What is it that you perhaps are looking for and, and searching outside of a relationship with the Father to give you the fulfillment in your soul? That perhaps you can relate to the younger brother, where you've searched and you've searched and you've searched for meeting and satisfaction, not by looking to your vertical relationship with your Heavenly Father, but in looking at your horizontal options. That perhaps you're here this morning, you've been looking at, at money or relationships or popularity or pleasure or success or, or cars to, to bring you the satisfaction that only a relationship with your heavenly Father can actually bring. And perhaps those things in your life have just collapsed on you, leaving your search unfulfilling. What the Bible teaches and, and what we see so clearly in this story is that while those horizontal issues are real, the most important issue is our vertical relationship with our Heavenly Father. And if our vertical relationship with God is broken, it will lead us to desperately searching in all the wrong places. Well, the story continues, and I'm sure the listeners of Jesus, the the Pharisees and the tax collectors, were just on the edge of their seats are probably wondering okay what's what's the younger brother going to do now where is he going to turn so look with me at at verses 17 through 19 to see what the younger brother does it says but when he came to himself he said how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread but I perish here with hunger I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now we see the younger brother, he comes to his senses, and he even has this speech ready for his father. He thinks to himself, How many of my father's slaves have, have more than enough food? I will go to my father and say, I have sinned against you. I just want to pause for a moment. Now, this is a really good start for the younger brother. It appears on the outside that he's remorseful, that he's repentant. But don't miss this, because he goes on to say, and he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your slaves. I want to point out another characteristic of the younger brother that's really, really significant. And this can actually be a barrier in our relationship with God, and it's the issue of shame. That the younger brother has been desperately searching, he's been living immorally, and yet he hits rock bottom here, eating the, the food alongside some pigs, and shame came along, and convinced him that he had lost his status as a son and can only be a slave to his father. See, something happened in his soul where he believed the lie of shame that he had lost his father's love and acceptance and now has to try and go earn it back as a slave. That shame filled his soul and convinced him that because of his immorality, because of, of his rebellion and his embarrassment, he had forfeited his position and status as a son. A shame is that thing that, that whispers to our souls, "You are worthless now." A shame is that thing that when we look at ourselves in the mirror, all we can see are our flaws and our weaknesses and our sins and our secrets and convinces us that we are outside the grace and the love of God. That shame comes to us and says that, that this now defines you, that your mistakes, your sin now defines your worth, not your identity in Christ. We see that in the younger brother. My wife and I are in this stage of parenting where we're trying to potty train our two-year-old. And I'm going to emphasize that we're trying to. It's been quite the journey. And for all you parents, you know exactly what that means. But it's been really, really interesting to, to watch my two-year-old daughter, Ellie, uh, try to, to understand this concept of, of where she needs to go potty. See, when she goes potty where she needs to go potty, she gets so excited. She gets filled with this joy, and she comes running to to me and my wife, and she goes, I did it, I did it, I did it. she just has this big smile on her face. But then those moments in which she has accidents, like her whole demeanor changes. Like she kind of puts her head down, and she kind of walks over to to me and my wife, and she kind of whispers, I had an accident. And you could almost see just this embarrassment, like kind of this, this shame kind of coming through her. And, and for me, like as, like as her father in this stage of parenting, like I so desperately want Ellie to know that my love for her is not dependent on her potty performance. Like, I, I want her to know, like, her, her status in the Beals family is not dependent on where she goes potty. Like, that's, that's a big deal for me right now as a dad. Like, I want her to know that even when she has accidents, that my love does not change. That my acceptance of her is not altered based on her potty performance. And in the same way, in a similar way that if you're here today and you're in Christ, you're in the family of God, that your status as a son or a daughter is not dependent on your performance, but it's solely dependent on what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. That you, as a son or a daughter, cannot earn God's love even more than in your worst moments or your best moments. And yet what shame tries to do. Shame comes along and and convinces us that whatever we've done, that whatever we've said, whatever has been done to us is bigger than what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. That it's bigger than grace. It's bigger than love. And so now we have to work and earn and try to win back our status as being in God's family because for whatever reason, we think that we've lost it. Shame presses that down on us and tells us that we're no longer part of the family. And it happened to this younger brother. Something happened where he was like, man, I'm out of the family now. I have to work back as a slave. And I wonder this morning, can, can you relate to the younger brother? That maybe you're here this morning. Are, are you filled and maybe animated and motivated by the shame in your life? Thinking to yourself, if, if I can just go to church, maybe I can, I can earn back my status in God's family. And throughout the Bible, we really see two predominant negative reactions to shame. The first one is, is that we either run and hide like Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, where when they first experienced shame, they played kind of this, this cosmic hide-and-go-seek game with God, or... We do exactly what the younger brother did here, and we try to earn back what we believe we lost. The younger brother believed the lie of shame, and it was motivating his return to the father. Well, we've spent enough time on the younger brother here. We're going to move on to the older brother. We're actually going to skip uh, sections, uh, verses 20 through 24, and save that for the end, kind of the best part of the story Let's jump down to verse 25 and see what we can learn from the older brother. Let's look at verses 25 through 28. It says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. Now, in verse 25, we are finally introduced to the older brother. And we see him, of course, working in the field. He's doing exactly what he needed to be doing. And then he hears music playing. He hears dancing. And he asked one of his servants, well, what's going on? One of the servants explained that his long-lost brother has been found, and now we are celebrating. But did you pick up on the older brother's response? His older brother's response was was not joy. It wasn't happiness. It was anger. Verse 28 says that he was angry, and he refused to go to the party to celebrate and here we see a dominant characteristic of older brothers, and that is being judgmental. See, what we have to understand about older brothers is that they have this scale of right and wrong, and they use this scale to, to judge other people's behaviors based on if they're following the rules. And of course, when, when someone doesn't follow the rules, older brothers judge them And then they determine their worth and their significance based on how well they're living up to their standards. the ability to see sin in others and ignore it in your own hearts is one of the distinguishing characteristics of older brothers. Just a confession, I, I found this this very thing happened to me when I was at the grocery store last week. Last week I I went to the grocery store, and, and I was only there just to pick up a few items. I was kind of in a rush, and so I, I pick my items up, and, and I go to the express lane. And for those of you who don't know, the express lane has a maximum of 10 items, okay? So I've got my three items, and I'm I'm standing in line, and, and there's this individual who's ahead of me, and he is taking forever, and, and I just see just my patience just just kind of shrinking before me, and, and this older brother mentality came out in me. And, and of course, I, I did what many of you would have done. I, I started counting the items that he had. <laughs> I was like, one, two, three, and I counted 13. Okay, so he's got 13 items and a 10 items or less express lane. And, I, and so I start to judge him. I start to kind of determine his worth and his significance. I, I start to think to myself, oh, who's this guy I think he is? Thirteen items and a 10 item like, last line. I mean, come on. Like this guy probably doesn't even recycle. <laughs> and I go on and on and on. I start, I start judging this guy. And I just had to, I just had to stop and just repent of that. And I just had this, this older brother mentality just come out and and I start to to have this scale of right and wrong, and it's totally based on if they're following the rules. See, older brothers have a tendency to to look down on other prodigals. And we see that here in this story of of the older brother who judges and he looks down on his younger brother because he broke the rules. At this scale, it, it tipped the wrong way because of the prodigal's sin. And yet... The father throws him this party. He, he decides to, to celebrate his younger son returning. And so, of course, the older brother is filled with anger. He's thinking, this doesn't make any sense. This, this whole episode violated the older brother's equation for life. See, one thing we have to understand about older brothers is that they live by a specific kind of formula for life. And if you're an older brother, this will will probably resonate with you. But older brothers say that if I follow the rules, plus if I do what I'm supposed to be doing, then that should equal that I get what I want, that I get justice, that that things should work out well for me. And in fact, this, this tendency in older brothers can even spill into our relationship with God that we can even come up with, with almost these, these spiritual equations with God, where we say, okay, God, if I do A, if I obey all of your commands, plus if I, if I avoid sinning, then that should equal you do what I want. Then you have to bless me. And if other people break the rules, then, then they can't possibly be blessed. Does that resonate with you this morning? Do, do you have a, a certain kind of spiritual... Formula for God that, that's really nowhere in Scripture, and yet so often we come up with these equations spiritually, and we kind of shove God up against the wall, and we say, "God, you have to do what I want to do. I, I've done A and B. Now you have to do C." And yet, for the older brother, he he notices that his own father doesn't follow this equation, this formula, and so he gets angry, and he refuses to go to the party. Can you relate to this? This equation and this judgmental mindset with other prodigals and maybe even with God himself? Well, not only do we see this, this judgmental mindset with older brothers, but, but let's look at another characteristic in this story. Look, look with me at the, at the older brother's speech in verses 29 and 30. 28 and 30. Now in the story, what, what tends to get the most focus is the younger brother's speech to the father, but, but I find that the older brother's speech is, is more enlightening. Look with me, verse 28. It says, but he was angry and refused to go in. And so his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father. Now notice the speech. He says, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. The older brother was angry. He refused to go to the party. And so his loving father just kind of comes out and has a chat with him. And in this conversation, we, we see the older brother proclaim to his father how many years he has served his father, how faithful he, he was, how many commands he followed, how, how often he never disobeyed the father, and then he gets to the end of it, and he says, where is my celebration? Where is my party? Where, where is my fattened calf for my performance of obedience? And here we see another characteristic of older brothers, and it's having an entitled morality. Having an entitled morality. This this can also be a very significant barrier in our relationship with God. See, for the older brother here, he obeyed and he obeyed and he obeyed his father, not out of delight and joy, but in order to put his father in debt to him. That he wanted to obey his father so that the father would owe him something. That his obedience was, was motivated about from, from what he could get from God. Now, why did the older brother not go into the party? I mean, what, what was really keeping him from going in? Well, I, I would say that he, he could not see... That his greatest need was to enjoy fellowship with the father, not to earn fellowship with the father. That that was keeping him from actually entering into the party. That he believed that he had earned his place in the family and that his brother had lost his. That older brothers obey God in order to get things from God. That they don't obey God in order to get God this entitled morality is, is following the rules in order to earn approval from God and then demand things from God. It's really obedience with the dismissal of worship. It's obedience with, without joy that the older brothers, as, as Tim Keller puts it so well, says, I obey God in order to be accepted by him. But the gospel says, I am accepted by God because of Jesus, therefore I will obey. And I wonder this morning, can, can you relate to the older brother? Do you go to church? Do you follow the rules? Do you, do you do all of the things that you're supposed to be doing in order to put God in your debt? That, that maybe God will love you more, that, that God will be forced to bless you in some way. I just want to point out that, that Jesus' brilliant storytelling, this is unbelievable. Like, this is an incredible story that Jesus lays out for us because of the audience that's around him. Like He's got the Pharisees and the sinners, and yet what Jesus does here using the older brother is he completely reconfigures what it means to be lost and far from God. That it's not just this obvious, rebellious immorality but you can be just as lost or perhaps even more lost by being physically close to God and spiritual things, but your heart is off on a journey to a far-off country of moralism that's empty of fellowship with God. That I would suggest that the prodigal physically traveled far from the father's house, but the older brother traveled far from the father's heart that even though we don't see the older brother take a a physical journey like his younger brother, trying to justify his existence, nevertheless, we see the older brother on a journey of his own, trying to justify himself through moral conformity. Well, we've seen the younger brother here. We've seen the older brother. Let's finish by looking at the main character of the story, the loving father here. The loving Father. First thing that I want to point out for us about the loving Father is His initiating love. His initiating love. Look at verse 20. I, I love verse 20. Like, if, if, I, if I were allowed to have a favorite verse, I know I'm a pastor, so I'm not allowed to do that, but verse 20, be my favorite verse. Let's, let's read this together. It says, And he arose and came to his Father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Isn't that beautiful? What, what a picture of, of God's love to us. And, and one thing that we have to understand about, about the context is in this time period, fathers never ran that it was actually embarrassing to run, and yet we see the father who just doesn't care. He's filled with such love, and he's overrun with joy, seeing his son, who who he thought was lost and dead, now is found and is alive. Even while he was still a long way off, he ran and embraced him, and the Greek is literally he kissed him all over. He accepts him. Now that's love to the younger brother, but... We also see love being extended to the older brother in verse 28. It says, But he, the older brother, was angry and refused to go in. And so his father came out and entreated him. Did did you catch that? The father not only extends love to the younger brother, but the father extends an initiating love to the older brother. And he pleads with him, he entreats him, he begs him to come into the party. And the older brother, he goes on with his speech. He talks about how he never disobeyed, and he never did this and never did that. Yet notice the father's response to him in verse 31. He says, "'Son, you are always with me. "'All that is mine is yours. "'It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, "'for this your brother was dead and is alive, "'that he was lost and is found.'" you notice that the father responds to the older brother's nevers with always that the, the the older brother goes on and on about how he never did this, he never did that, and the father responds with, "You are always with me, that all that is mine is yours." see he's extending this love to both brothers and this morning, no matter what brother you can relate with today. Maybe you can relate with the younger brother or the older brother. You need to know that this is a picture of God to us. That God is the one who runs out to us. God is the one who initiates a relationship with us, that he makes the first move, that we don't make the first move in our relationship with God. See, according to Ephesians 2, it describes us as being dead in our sins that we are unable to pursue God, we are unable to save ourselves, we are unable to conjure up enough good works to to pursue God and earn a status in his family, that God makes the first move. And, And Ephesians 2 later on goes to say that, but God, but God, being rich in mercy made us alive together in Christ, that God did that, that God initiated that saving process, that he makes the first move. We can't. What a freeing truth that God takes that first step towards us, the God who knows all of our sin. He knows all of our secrets. He knows all of our shame. And yet he says, I'm coming for you with my love. And the reality is, is that God's love is the only thing strong enough to break the chains of our shame, to break the chains of our entitled morality, thinking that we can kind of earn a status with him. It's only by his love. And yet we not only see this love that's initiating, but we see a love that offers complete acceptance, complete acceptance, I love how the the younger brother had this, this speech ready for his father. And he started with his speech, and no doubt he practiced this speech over and over and over again as he's on his way back home. And one of my favorite parts in this story is how the father just cuts him off. He doesn't even let him finish his speech, and he just puts his arms around him, kisses him, embraces him. He doesn't just say, oh, okay, you're you're back, we're going to put you to work. No, 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 he offers complete acceptance, gives him his robe, gives him his ring, all signifying complete acceptance, all expressions of his love. And he says, let the party begin. Let's celebrate the fact that you who are once lost is now found. But have you ever wondered why the younger son never finished his speech I mean, some would say that the father just interrupted him and, and he's now trying to arrange the party so he didn't have a chance, but I would say that it's because he didn't have to finish his speech. See, I think that the love and the compassion that was just lavished upon him by his father was enough to convince him that he was truly accepted by his father. He didn't have to work and earn back the status that he thought that he lost, that we have this complete acceptance made possible through the gospel. <clears throat> well, I wish we could spend more time on the father and the story, but we really must move on to verse thirty-three. You might be saying to yourself, Chris, "There's no verse thirty-three. What are you talking about?" I, I know, I know, there's no verse thirty-three, but, but man, like you're reading the story, and it's like there should be a verse thirty-three. Like, where is verse thirty-three? What happens with the older brother? I think that Jesus tells this story in such a way to invoke a response from the audience. I think that Jesus constructed this powerful story to basically pose the question, how will you respond to the Father's love today? How will you respond to his complete acceptance that's made possible through what Jesus accomplished on the cross? And maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, I, I relate totally with the younger brother that maybe you're here and you're filled with shame, that you're desperately searching for meaning and satisfaction outside of a relationship with God, and maybe you're wondering, can, can God still love me? Is, is there grace for me? Am I, am I outside of his love and grace? I, I want to tell you this morning that God, through Jesus, wants to break the chains of your shame and offer complete acceptance and love through the gospel today. That whatever speech that you have ready this morning to give to God about how you might earn back his love, that Jesus wants to cut you off in the same way that the, father, that the father cut off the son, and he just wants to wrap his arms around you and say, welcome home. That if you're in Christ today, if you're in God's family, that God looks at you and he, he delights in you today, that he sings over you, that he takes joy in you. And not not the you, the, the best version you, not not your most cleaned up version of you, but the you who is sitting in that seat this morning with, with all of your temptations and struggles and sin. God looks at you and says, I love you, I take joy in you today. Maybe you're here this morning and you'd say that you're an older brother. You have a a judgmental spirit, you look down on other prodigals, you have kind of an entitled morality. Well, Jesus wants to break that stronghold just as much to the power of the gospel, and only his love can do that. So how will you respond to the Father's love this morning? How, How will you enter into the feast of celebrating this great love and this great grace that is made possible through Jesus Christ? If you're here today and you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you're here and you'd say, I'm not a Christian, I just I want to encourage you to look at this love that God has for you, to to look at, at what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, that he took away your sin, he took away your debt, he paid your penalty, he absorbed all of the wrath in order for you to have this relationship with God. Will you place your faith upon him today? And as the band makes their way up here, we we have one more song to sing as as a congregation about the Father's love. And before we do that, we just want to provide just a couple moments, just between you and God, just, just a time of confession. That if you're an older brother or a younger brother, you've got things in your heart that you need to confess, that you need to repent of. I just want to encourage you to take the next couple moments and do that, just between you and the Lord. And so let's do that in the next 30 to 60 seconds. Just, just do some business with the Lord, and then we'll close with one last song.